All right. Well, we're starting a new series uh, today. And uh, being the new year, we often think about trying to start with a message of motivation. And I got to be very honest with you. Uh, you know, I, I don't follow tradition. I, I want to hear from the Spirit of God, and I want to do what God's telling me to do. And uh, <clears throat> for the last week or two, I kept hearing in my head, my will, my way, or God's will, God's way. And uh, as I've been coming here in the mornings to the prayer meetings, I really feel like the Holy Spirit started to talk into my heart and speak to me. And uh, so out of that has come today's message. And uh, I want to assure you, I want to prepare you before I even start preaching. Uh, I really believe that this message is very informative. Uh, I will teach you some things that I believe the Holy Spirit highlighted to me. Some of the things are things he has shown me in the past. Some of them are relatively newer. But I also want to assure you that as I'm laying down some teaching, don't allow your mind to be distracted because it's going to come together and be stitched together and make an amazing suit of truth that I want every one of us to be able to wear, to put on. You see, the more our lives are built on truth, the truer our lives will be to the mark God destined us to hit. Did you hear me? Are you thinking about it? The more our lives are built on truth, the truer our lives will hit the mark that God destined us to be. Can I get an agreement? All right, praise God. Well, <clears throat> Pastor Carlos, I know that was my introduction. That is not in my notes. That just came out as I was talking. Flag it. <laughs> All right. So the series that I'm starting uh, today is called The Greatest First Step to Success. The Greatest First Step to success, and my sermon title, so that's the series title, my sermon's, sermon title is called The Garden of Conflict, and every one of us have been in the garden of conflict, and so I, I, I want to state by saying, and we can put it on the screen, the garden of conflict is where our will and our way crosses God's will and God's way. I'm going to say that again. The garden of conflict. Anyone here ever have conflict? Now, I'm, you know, we have conflict with other people because their will crosses our will. Hello? Don't look at anybody right now. Don't squeeze anyone's hand right now. Okay, keep your eyes and your face forward. But, you know, we often face uh, interpersonal relationship conflicts and the bottom line is there is conflict in personal relationships because their will crosses our will and their way crosses our way. And how many of you can agree that when we have those types of conflict in a relationship, it doesn't bode very well? It doesn't usually make for a very happy moment, does it? No. In fact, that conflict, if not resolved in an amicable or an agreeable way to both parties, will fester and really become an issue. 
What, am I the only person who lives in this world? Come on, give it to me. Absolutely, absolutely. We don't have conflict with people who do everything we say. We don't have conflict when we're in agreement with each other. It's easy to be in agreement, and it's easy to be in submission when we agree. Submission's really hard when I don't agree with the person I have to submit to. What's interesting is that in the New Testament, the Bible says we need to submit one to another. And the only way that's possible is by following the law of love. The law of love doesn't consider only what's good for me. The law of love forces me to consider what's good for the other person as well. Hello? And when we consider the law of love, what's good for me and what's good for the other person and what is in agreement with God's will, thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart and your neighbor as yourself. The law of love makes sure that those three personalities or those three people are always being dealt with in a fair and just manner. What is God's will? What is the person in this relationship wanting? And let me respect that and try to honor it if it lines up with God's will. And what do I want? Let me honor what I want as well. You know, you can't please everybody and not please yourself and be happy at the end of the day. That was good. Not in my notes. I'm going to say it again. You can't please everybody and not yourself and be happy at the end of the day. Can I get an agreement? Absolutely. You, you see, what I love about the Bible is it's not a religion. It's a book of life principles. And Jesus taught this is how you got to live. Love God first. With all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind, love him, love his word, love what he's about, and then love your neighbor, not at the exclusion of you, love your neighbor as yourself. That's equality. We're always screaming for equality. Injustice screams of inequity. But God speaks about uh, equality, and he tells us, teaches us the law of love. Live in such a way where you're loving and honoring God with all of your heart, and then love and honor people that you're in relationship with as long as what they're wanting isn't contrary to the laws of God. That's why it's love God first. Here's the standard. If you want me to step outside of God's standard and we're in relationship, I'm sorry, but I have to honor him first and honor myself because I love him above everything else. Hello? But as far as is possible, if what is wanted in a relationship isn't contrary to God's word, then I want to honor my brother, I want to honor my sister, I want to honor my neighbor and honor myself as well. Amen. That's the basis of great relationship, isn't it? Absolutely. So uh, this sermon series is about the garden of conflict, but the first conflict I want to deal with is the conflict we struggle within ourselves. Now, we've had conflict in relationship, and we've laughed a little, we've snickered a little, and we've resisted the temptation to turn and look at anybody, but we often also have conflict within ourselves. What's the right thing to do? What decision should I make? Which direction should I go in in this situation? 
And I know that if I ask for a show of hands, every one of us are going to raise our hand and say, yeah, we come to places of conflict within ourselves. It's a point of decision. And the point of conflict is usually this. Do I do what is right in my eyes or do I do what is right in God's eyes? And that's usually the greatest point of conflict. Yes, we have conflict with others. Do I please them or please myself? You can't please everybody all the time and never please yourself and be happy at the end of the day. You have to please others and please yourself. It has to be mutually satisfying. But the greatest conflict that we come to personally when we're having to make decisions are conflicts of choice. And bottom line, the conflict of choices where my will crosses God's will. Where my ways cross God's ways. And there's a difference between God's will and God's way. And there's a difference between my will and my way. Hello? And so over the series, we're going to examine this. What I'm going to do today initially is dissect who we are as people. The problem often is, is that we get an education from the world, but the education that's in the world is sometimes tainted with the knowledge of evil. Not the knowledge of, we're going to do bad things to you, but the knowledge that is incorrect. There, Jesus said, I am the truth. We live in a world that wants to erase absolutes. You know... <laughs> Please don't take political offense, but in a society like we're experiencing today, we want to get rid of absolutes. And I'm sorry, well, I'm not, and I'm not apologizing. There are some absolutes. Number one, God absolutely loves us. Can we agree on that? God absolutely loves us. And I can mess up, screw up, and God absolutely loves me. Turn to somebody and say, I can agree with that. I don't always believe it, but I can agree with it. Okay, God absolutely loves us. We live in a world of absolutes. Jesus said, I am the way, the life, and the truth. The knowledge of evil is not always the knowledge of something that looks bad. It's the knowledge that's contrary to the truth of God. That was good. That was good, because sometimes we have knowledge that, you know, it appears good. It sounds like a good idea, but not every good idea is a God idea. And so the knowledge of evil is knowledge that isn't God's knowledge. It might seem good and can be good, but it is never the perfect knowledge. Are you with me? Amen. All right. Uh, I want to read a verse and... We're going to start with Matthew chapter 26, and we're going to start at verse 36. I'm going to take a very familiar scripture. It talks about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And uh, while it would be apparent where I'm going to go with the scripture, I want to stop halfway through the scripture and start dissecting something that usually we don't see. Usually we see the bulk of the message and we just run to the end of the story and we get all excited about the bulk of the message. 
And many times hidden in the bulk of the message are very pertinent key points. And I want to do that today with this scripture. Yes, we're going to read about where Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's in conflict of soul. But I want to point out some things before he comes to the decision he came to. Why? Because everything about Jesus is relevant to everything about Rob Scarallo. Everything about Jesus is relevant to your personal life. Absolutely everything. I, I, I swear to you, I tell you, I have studied this book the majority of my life. I have been inundated and doused with and baptized in an environment of hearing God's word. And this is my conclusion about God's word. It is the most perfect book of life and life principles. And when I follow the principles of God's word, not religion, when I follow the principles of God's word, it will always bring me to the best place I can be at. Has anyone in this room ever experienced that? Put your hand up. All right. Well, since everyone doesn't have an owl's neck where they can do a 360 and turn around, if you raise your hand or if that's true of you, give me a round of applause so everyone can hear it. Okay. So Matthew chapter 26, starting with verse 36, it says, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. Now, if you read several verses before, it says he went up to the Mount of Olives. It was a mountaintop overlooking Jerusalem, overlooking the place where he would eventually be crucified. And so he went to the mountaintop of the Mount of Olives, and as its name suggests, there were groves and groves of olive trees. If you go to Israel today, you will still see the olive groves of trees on the Mount of Olives. There was a particular place on the Mount of Olives known as the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus often went to the Mount of Olives to pray, often went to the Garden of Gethsemane. So Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. That's John and James, okay? Zebedee was their father. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Jesus began to be sorrowful and trouble. Point number one, when we are sorrowful, it is an emotional response. Can we agree? Sounds like a very obvious statement, but agree with me on a minor close, and we'll get to the major close in a moment. When we're sorrowful, it is an emotional response. Is that right? All right. Jesus was both sorrowful and he was also troubled, two different things. Uh, when we are troubled, it is an intellectual conflict. We are troubled in mind. We are troubled in our thoughts. And so we see specifically here that Jesus, the Son of God, come in the flesh, the perfect role model, is showing us something about humanity. We have both emotions, and our emotions can influence us. We can be sorrowful. We can be happy. 
In this instance, Jesus is sorrowful. He's a man of emotions, but he's also troubled. There is conflict in his thought life. Now, I told you that this sermon is about the greatest first step or the first step to your greatest success. The first step to your greatest success. How many of you want to start this new year better than any other year? Give me a wave. Come on, even if last year was a great year, how many of you want to keep on just going from good to better and better, right? Absolutely. I don't know what your last year was like, but if it really stunk, then you really need to listen. And if you really want to hit the mark this year and not have a miserable year, even if last year was good, listen to what I'm going to lay down today because I'm telling you it is a powerful principle. And if we can learn this one step, I promise you, irrespective of all the great motivational speakers around the world where you might spend $5,000 to go to a weekend conference, $10,000, don't blink an eye because that's pretty common, especially in the secular world. But where we could spend mega bucks, you will never find greater truth than you will find in the Word of God and it will never be a more balanced truth than the truth that you find in the Word of God. Come on, give it up to Jesus if you believe that. And so we see Jesus, God in the flesh, being troubled, uh, being sorrowful. He has emotions and he is troubled in his mind. And in the next verse, the immediate thing that is said next in verse 38, then he said to them, my soul, everybody say soul. We're not talking about Korea, South Korea. My soul. Turn to somebody and say, my soul. Jesus was sorrowful, and then he was troubled. He was experiencing emotion and conflict of thought, and the very next words out of his mouth is this, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Is this getting interesting? I'm boring? All right, let's close up for the. How many of you want to keep hearing what I got to say? Look, a lot of this stuff God downloaded to me this morning. Last night I looked like Homer Simpson with my, uh, my left eye. And I mean literally, top and bottom was swollen and just a little bit was open. <laughs> first, things, first thing my Pastor Steve asked me this morning is, how's your eye? I look like Homer Simpson. In fact, we joked about the fact this is New Year's Eve. If I go to church on New Year's Day with my eye as swollen as it was and with a bump on my head and a scab, they're going to think I really partied well on New Year's Eve. And I can assure you that was not the case or at least these symptoms are not the result of the wrong kind of partying, all right? Mind you, after I took the, um, the Benadryl, I was so groggy, I thought, I hope this doesn't last till tomorrow morning because they will be convinced that I partied hard. <laughs> All right, the word soul, he said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. And then he goes and he prays. I want to tell you that when you are in a place of 
conflict in your emotions and in your thought, the best thing to do is to pray. The last thing we feel like doing is praying. Why? Because that type of emotional conflict, when our emotions are rattled and our mind is confused, those two combinations never come from the Holy Spirit of God. When our emotions are stirred up and our mind is is rattled and we are troubled, that is not something that is brought to us by the Holy Spirit. It's brought to us by a demonic spirit. And the reason why the last thing we want to do when we're in that state of affairs is to pray is because the spirit that is besieging us doesn't want us to go to that intimate place with God. Come on, this is good preaching. How do you deal with depression? How do you deal with bouts of anger that have got you emotionally stirred up and in conflict? The best thing you could do, the thing the last Adam did and the thing that the first Adam never did, the last Adam separated himself and he started to pray. It's gonna get better. Stay with me. Turn to somebody and say, it's gonna get better. He's hot today. (laughs) All right. It says, uh, then he said to them, my soul. So it says he's sorrowful. It's an emotion. He's troubled. Conflict of thought. Next verse, he says to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch. Number one, the word soul in this verse is the word suke. And it means breath or soul. The way it's used, sometimes it is translated as the vital breath, the breath of life, the thing that gives us life. And most times in the New Testament, it is translated as the human soul. Letter C, the soul is the seat of our affections, our emotions. It is the seat of our intellect and it is the seat of our will. If you've been attending the church here, you'll know that I often talk, the Bible uses the word heart. Uh, Love the Lord your God with all your heart. And the word in the Greek for heart is the word cardia. Anybody who's in the medical field can recognize the origin of the word cardia, cardia arrest or heart attack, Uh, cardia. But in the Greek, cardia always refers to your intellect, the mind of reason, the emotions, and the will. It's very interesting because that word heart is used a lot in the Bible in the New Testament, but it's also used a lot in the Old Testament. God's always talking about man's heart, but it's never talking about the pump that pumps blood. In the Old Testament, the word is lebe, L-E-B-E, with a asterisk or a hyphen above it, and uh, lebe The Hebrew for heart also always means the realm of your intellect, the realm of your emotions, and the realm of your will. And I'll explain why that's the case in just a moment. But what we are seeing is that Jesus was troubled in his mind, he was sorrowful in his emotions, and the first thing he refers to is his soul. Everybody go, ah, got it. 
Now, maybe you already had it, but that's for my benefit when I get you to go, ah. I feel like I'm gaining ground here, all right? So everybody, on the count of three, one, two, three. Awesome. Thank you, you're helping me. <laughs> all right. I must have knocked that freezer door a lot harder than I thought. Okay. <clears throat> The soul is the seat of affections or emotions, the seat of your intellect and your will. Now notice Jesus said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow, an emotion, to the point of death. That's a conclusion. It's a thought process. Suicide is a thought process. We can feel it emotionally and it will lead us to a thought. He says, I am sorrowful to the point of, of death. It is emotion and thought processes working inside of him, bringing conflict and he needing resolution. Sorrow, point A, if we can put that up on the screen, is an emotion, and I put in brackets, emotions lead us to thought. Thoughts don't always start from an emotion. Sometimes our thoughts can lead us to emotions. So everyone look at me. What we're starting to see is the soul is the realm of your thought life and it is the realm of your emotions. And when your thought and your emotions come into agreement, they activate your will and usually your best human response comes out of the the mind of your intellect and the mind of your emotions coming into agreement, okay? So what we're seeing here is the point of death. Emotions can overwhelm our thought process. How many of you have ever felt negative or felt depressed and had no logical reason for feeling that way? Put your hand up. Come on, be honest, all right? Be honest. Thank you. I appreciate that. We feel emotions sometimes, and there's no logical thought that we can connect to it. But what's interesting is that if we allow the emotion to remain, it will lead us to negative thoughts. Can I get an agreement? Come on, turn to somebody and say, this is good. All right. But it's not always emotion. It's not thought. While emotions can lead to thoughts, thoughts can lead to emotion. So in other words, you could walk in a room, you're happy, clappy, you're doing fantastic, and all of a sudden two or three people come up to you and somebody says something to you and it's a trigger to an experience, a negative experience from the past. And you hear a thought and immediately you start uh, thinking subconsciously of everything associated with that comment, and it's usually negative thoughts about yourself, and then your emotions go from a high high to a low low. What am I saying? Sometimes we can have emotions, and there's no thought process connected to it, and we just feel messed up. We feel out of, out of sorts. And if we stay there, those emotions will lead us to negative thoughts. Negative emotions will never lead you to positive thoughts. 
Come on, come on, stay with me, everybody, stay with me. Negative emotions will never lead you to positive thoughts. Listen, I'm talking about the first step to your greatest success. And to be able to take you to that first step, I need you to understand you. I need you to understand how you're wired. And nothing will explain who we are and how we're wired better than the Word of God. This is the Creator's manual. Okay, and so he knows us and he speaks to us and he speaks about who we are. So negative emotion will never take you to positive thought. If you struggle with depression, and listen, at times I do. I, in fact, I used to be extremely depressive. I used to just wallow in depression. And God, little by little, through his word, started to show me very important keys. Sorry, I just showered you. It's not snowflakes. Uh, I'll try to keep my distance. I'm getting excited. It is anointed, though. Uh, Don't everyone come up to me and say, spit on me, spit on me, spit on me. He's foaming at the mouth. He's so excited, right? Uh, what was I saying before it started snowing? See, you all got caught up with the snow. Thank you. Battle depression. Thank you, Larry. I used to struggle with great depression. I was depressed all the time. And God started to show me principles from his word that helped me to understand how I am made and how I function so that I could bring the elements of my soul back into divine order and get a handle on Rob Scarallo and then get a handle on God's word, okay? So what I'm outlining here, what I'm teaching here, what I'm laying down here is very, very important to the kind of year you're gonna have because you will have the kind of year that you have interpersonally within yourself. As a man thinketh, so is he. Is that what the Bible says? As a man thinketh, so is he. And so if the mind of your intellect and the mind of your emotions are not understood and therefore taken under control with the word of God, as you think, that's how you'll be all through 2023. The Bible also says, guard your heart, Old Testament, guard your labay, the seat of your mental intellect and your emotional mind and your will. Guard your heart, for out of it will come the issues of life. How many of you face issues in life that absolutely stink? Well, the Bible says, Proverbs, the book of wisdom says, guard your thought life, your conclusions, your belief systems, be careful of what's been registered in your memories. That's all part of the mind of your intellect. Guard your emotions, the mind of your emotions, for what you meditate on thought-wise, what you believe in your ideologies, the memories that keep coming up from the garbage bin, together with the emotions connected to those memories, they will create repeat issues in your life. Whoa, good preaching, Pastor Rob. You could drop the mic right here and we could go home. I mean, that is a key. That is a key. 
Guard your heart, LeBay, for out of your thought life, out of your memories, out of your belief systems and the emotions connected to them, you will face repeat issues again and again. How many of you have certain issues you don't want to face again and again? Give me a wave. The rest of you are lying. Thank you, Steve. I'm glad you came. Sorrow's an emotion. Emotions lead us to thoughts, but thoughts don't always start from an emotion. Sometimes our thoughts can lead us to emotion. You need to understand this. If you ever struggle with any level of depression, even if it's mild, I'm going to be straightforward with everybody here. If you're going to tell me you never, ever struggle with emotion, I'm going to look at you cross-eyed. Because we all struggle with depression to varying degrees. The issue is how well we deal with depression. Can I get an amen? And so I want you to understand sometimes... We can just feel blah. And sometimes it's a physical state of being in our physiology, in our physical body. Sometimes it could be purely physical. Sometimes it's spiritual. You didn't hear anything. You're not thinking anything. You can't put your finger on it. But a spirit of heaviness is weighing upon you even though there are no thoughts associated with it. What's interesting is that when we do start to feel blah, if we don't take our soul to a place of praise, the heaviness will take us to a place of despair. Hello? If you're going to have a successful year, you need to understand how you're wired. Okay? And uh, I believe God has given me this word and breaking it down so we can understand how we're wired and how we can fit the word of God into our circumstances so that we have better days, better years, well, better days, better months, better years, and a better life. Who's willing to sign up for better days, better months, better years, and a better life? Come on now. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so we need to understand sometimes when it starts purely as an emotion, it could be a physiological thing and our body is worn down and maybe we need rest. That's why as soon as God created man on the sixth day, he creates the seventh day and he said, this is a day of rest. You can't be spiritual without a natural world because God put the first spiritual man in a natural world. Some religious nutcases want everything to only ever be spiritual. You are natural and you are spiritual. I have a saying, and we say it here in the church, uh, not as frequently as the other saying, most of us are like the rest of us, but I have another saying, it is spiritual to be natural, and it is natural to be spiritual. It's spiritual to be natural, just be normal. And it's natural to be spiritual. My spirituality doesn't come from me 
working up a facade and a make-believe and creating this huge mask. I am a spiritual person, but I'm also a natural person. And when you separate the two, you actually desecrate God's design. It's natural to be spiritual and spiritual to be natural. So sometimes we will feel emotions that bring us down and it's either a physiological thing and maybe it's an issue of rest, maybe our body is sick, but then sometimes it's spiritual and we have no rhyme or reason. If we don't take our soul to a place of praise, put on some praise music, get into the word of God. If you do not take your soul, the realm of your thoughts, the realm of your emotions. When thought and emotion comes together, it activates will. Your bad decisions are the result of your will activated by your thought life and your emotional life. And sometimes we allow our will to be activated in moments of depression and they're never good decisions. Turn to somebody right now, anybody. Just turn to someone, just look at them and hold your breath for a second. Now say, he's talking about you. And before they hit you, say, and he's talking about me. Because it applies to all of us. Listen, I'm giving you very, Paul, is this good stuff? Is this going to help people mentally and emotionally? If they apply it, absolutely. These are very important principles, okay? Thank you. For a minute, I thought you said stop. I was going to say no. <laughs> we have conflict. I'm in disagreement. <laughs> but I'm glad you said good stuff. Thank you. All right. Uh, <clears throat> so when I feel negative emotions, if it's not my physical being being tired or sick, and even if it is, I still need to take myself to a place of praise. But otherwise, it's a spirit of heaviness, a spirit of depression. And the only way to get rid of him is to go to a place of praise. You cannot be praising Jesus Christ and a demon hang around you. Understand how it works in the spirit realm. You cannot go into the presence of God with praise and a spirit of heaviness remain. He cannot remain, all right? He will have to leave. Okay, if you're feeling the emotions of heaviness, analyze your thoughts. Are there negative thoughts? Were there negative triggers? Did your mother say something to you? You could be 40 years old, and your mother's 60 or 70, and she could say one thing, and it brings you back to moments, repeat moments in your childhood, and suddenly you feel like less than a worm. Come on, let's just be honest. We're all broken, and broken people break people. Do you know why the Word of God says honor your mother and your father? Because the Word of God knows that they were broken also, and if you don't honor them, the judgment you make about them is the sentence you will wear. Yes! That was a good one. 
That's why the Word of God tells us to honor our mother and father. Why? Ever since the first father, Adam, we're all broken. And broken people break people. And if we don't learn to honor our parents, even though they're broken, the judgment we make about them will be the sentence we wear. Wow. And so, thank you, Roger. Oh, Jake. Jake said it. Well, you're sitting right in front of Roger. Turn around, turn around to the guy behind you. Turn around to him and say, I said it. Don't take the credit. Didier, I only know how to be me. Okay? Did I get your name right? Okay. I only know how to be me. I, I refuse to put on an act or put on a preacher's suit, and I don't mean a physical suit. I am who I am, and that's what God anoints. Amen. Amen. It's natural to be spiritual. It's spiritual to be natural. This is who he called. Whatever my personality is, that's what he anointed. Okay? We don't have to be fakes. Just be real. Okay, let me continue. So, uh, if I have the negative thoughts, and the negative thoughts are what spiral negative emotions, I take my thoughts and I check, do they line up with the Word of God? They never do. When they're negative thoughts, they never line up with God's opinion of me. My negative thoughts line up with people's opinion of me or my opinion of me. There's only one truth. I said earlier, we live in a world that wants to take away absolutes. And they say there are no absolutes. Yes, there are. God is the truth. And God says, I have value. God says, you have value. I don't care how many people have cursed you. I don't care how many people have rejected you. I don't care how many people have kicked you to the side. I don't care how many people have proven to you that you don't have worth and they've just left you. God says you're worth it. And you know how I know God says you're worth it? God so loved the world, he sent his son to die for everyone. So your life, yeah, go on, give him some praise. Your life is worth the life of Jesus Christ or God in the flesh. God says, I would die for you. I think the greatest human emotion is that a person could say, I would lay my life down for you. And that's exactly what God did. That's exactly what God did. He said, I'll lay my life down for you. And God's life determines our value. He determines your value. All right. Uh, point of death, letter B, let's put letter B up. Point of death is a thought. Emotions can overwhelm our thought process. Generally, we are logical thought processing beings. But when our emotions overwhelm us, they overtake us, they sabotage our logical thought process. So here's Jesus, he's sorrowful to the point of death. He's now having very negative thoughts. He was every bit a man and yet every bit God. The Bible says he went through every temptation just like we do. And if you've never thought of suicide or you've never thought, gee, I'd like to die, I'm going to question how human you really are or how old you are because you're probably only three years old still. <laughs> if you've lived long enough in this life, you've either said, Jesus, I'm ready at some point in your life, or you thought, I want out of here. Okay. 
Uh, point of death is a thought. Emotions can overwhelm our thought process. I'm going to say it again. You can take a picture of it if you want. Generally, we are logical thought processing beings. But when our emotions overwhelm us, they overtake us and they sabotage our logical thought process. So the soul is the seat of a new letter A. The soul is the seat of A, our thoughts. That is the mind of our intellect, your thoughts. What does that include? It includes our thought processes, our reasoning process. It includes our belief systems. Whatever you've been taught, your belief systems, whether they are cultural to your immediate mom and dad and the things they taught you, or whether your belief systems are things that we have accepted as culture in the United States of America, your thought, your belief systems are, do you believe in Darwinism? Do you believe in that there is no God. What, what, what do you believe? What are your belief systems? What do you believe about the value of human life, et cetera, et cetera? Your belief systems, your ideologies, and your memories. So the mind of intellect includes your ability to think and reason. It includes your belief systems, your ideologies. It includes your memories. It includes your thought processes. So the your your thoughts come from the mind of your intellect. Number two, B, <clears throat> emotions. That is the mind of your emotions. That includes all of our emotional responses as well as intuitive impressions. Sometimes we just feel to do something and there's no logic. And an emotion is trying to guide us. We feel it. We're intuitive. Women tend to be more intuitive to men. Men tend to be a little bit more logical not always. I've seen some men very illogical and some women very, illogic, uh, very logical, okay? So I'm not trying to stereotype anybody, but if anything, in an unfallen state, the perfect combination is a man and a woman. And yes, I very deliberately said a man and a woman. Don't go woke on me. Stay awake, but don't go woke on me, Okay? Somebody say amen. Amen. All right. <clears throat> but the most natural balance, the most uh, natural balance before a fallen world is a man and a woman. And one tends to bring to the table, or should, if they're not broken, uh, logic or a little bit more logic, and the other intuitiveness that comes from the mind of emotions. Both are good, both are healthy, and either one can go a wall and, and, and off the wall. Are you hearing me? Okay. Come on, it's about time to turn to somebody again and say, this is good stuff. He's not just preaching, he's teaching. All right. So... The emotions. That includes our emotional responses as well as intuitive impressions. Letter three, uh, number three, or letter C, your will. I'm talking about the soul. The soul is the seat for our thoughts, our emotions, our will. That is the mind of our actions. It's the trigger. The mind of our final decision. This is good stuff. 
Usually in a well-balanced environment, the will is activated in consultation and agreement between the mind of the intellect and the mind of the emotions. I'm going to read that again. This is good stuff. If you need to take a picture to screen, take a picture. Uh, the will is the mind of our actions, the mind of our final decision. Usually in a well-balanced environment, the will is activated in consultation and agreement between the mind of the intellect and the mind of emotions. A soul in distress or trauma will generally respond out of only one. Either the mind of the intellect or the mind of emotions overriding and ignoring the other. <clears throat> Powerful stuff. James, the brother of Jesus, he writes the book called James, not James the disciple. James, the brother of Jesus, who became the head of the church in Jerusalem, writes his book. It's entitled by his name, James. He says, a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. And when you read that in the Greek, it says, hovering between two minds. The mind of your emotions will often speak differently than the mind of your intellect. Fear is a perfect example. Well, whatever I'm afraid of is usually illogical. And I could know, I shared with you weeks ago, and I love being totally honest and letting you see how real a person I am. If you see how crazy I have been and how crazy I can get, then you know there's hope for you too. I don't preach you the gospel of I am perfect. I preach you the gospel of Jesus is perfect. I was broken and he's redeeming me. Amen. Therefore, there's hope for all of us. Now turn to everybody and say, he's talking to you. All right. But, you know, I've shared stuff like when I was a young kid in my 13s, I was so full of fear that if I had to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, I had to turn every light on. And as I turned every light on, on the way to the bathroom, when I would sit on the toilet, if you're not allowed to say that in church, I just did. I just made a new rule. When I would sit on the bowl of great thought, I would have this fear. I'd have to look in the bowl before I sat down, and I would check it periodically because I had this fear that someone was down there and they were going to suck me in. Now, logically... Why would anybody want to be on the receiving end of a toilet bowl? <laughs> Number two, how would they get there? It's as insane as Santa being driven around the earth by reindeer and then climbing down people's chimney. I mean, you'd only do it once and you'd be so full of soot, you're not going to do it again. Okay? Uh, totally illogical. But you see... The imprint of emotion speaks louder than the logic of reason. The imprint of emotion speaks louder than the logic of reason. And so my mind of emotions would override my mind of common sense. My mind of emotions. You have two minds in your soul. That is an emotional mind and your logical thought processing mind. And unless you understand this, you will never come to terms with the conflicts you go through internally. 
We get so worried about the conflicts we have externally in people relationships and we don't understand that half of those conflicts are the derivative of the conflict inside. And I thank God that the God of peace has come to restore us and renew us on the inside. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might fulfill the purposes of God. Somebody get excited in the house. There are two minds working in your soul. The mind of thought, process, logic, the mind of belief systems, your parents said black people are bad people, white people are bad people, all of those things, and they will stir up emotions, and because they were the issues of your heart, you probably had negative experiences, and they will stir up memories and stir up emotions. So, James says, a double-minded man, a man hovering between two minds in your soul. There is the mind of your intellect and there is the mind of your emotions. I'm coming to an end for today to be continued next week. All right? Our best human results, everybody listen. Our best human results, our best human performance, our best human decisions... If you're an athlete, your best human performance. If you're a decision maker, your best human decisions. If you're just a person, and we're all a person, your best human results are generally, generally, and I stress it by predicating it by saying, using the word human. Your best human results, your best human performance, your best human decisions are generally derived from a well-informed mind of our intellect and mind of our emotions. Proverbs 15, 22 says, there is wisdom in the multitude of counsel. I am not saying that your best decisions will come from your own thoughts and your own emotions. Your best decisions will come when your mind of intellect and your mind of emotions are in agreement. But it's good to have a well-informed mind, a broadened mind, and the Bible says wisdom comes from the multitude of counselors. I don't seek counsel from people that are contrary to the word of God. I don't seek counsel from people whose lives are still really messed up. I seek counsel from people that are pursuing God and they have a measure of success in their pursuit of God. Can I get an agreement? But we are also a spirit being. So I've been talking about the soul. We're also a spirit being. The Bible tells us we are spirit, soul, and body. One Thessalonians, so that those of us that are a little bit more religious I'm keeping it scriptural. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. And the very God of peace sanctify you. May he affect every area of who you are. May he, the God of peace, sanctify you wholly, every part of you. I pray that, I, and I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. What's Paul saying? I want every part of you to be affected by God, your spirit, your soul, and your physical body. You are a triune being. 
you ever ride a tricycle? You are a triune being. You are spirit, you are soul, you are body. Where we have most of our conflict is in the realm of the soul. When Adam and Eve sinned, their spirit became dormant and they had no relationship with God. Your spirit is where you hear from God and you interact with God. Before you get born again, your spirit is dormant. An unsaved person can read the Bible and say, this doesn't make sense. Same person could get saved and a month later they read the Bible and say, this is the best book I ever read. Why? Because now their spirit is alive and they're hearing and seeing from the realm of their spirit. Okay? The Bible actually says that when we are born again, that our spirit is regenerated, it is quickened, it is made awakened alive. It, it, it becomes full of senses again. But we are spirit, soul, and body. This, let's go to the next slide. This is a divine order. The world always says, yeah, we're body, soul, and spirit. Or body, soul, and mind. Incorrect. They, you, test me on this. You will see, because this is a divine order, God has placed, this is first, this is second, this is third. The world always gets it out of order. We are body, soul, and mind, or body, soul, and spirit. No, we are spirit, soul, and body. And there's a reason why it's a divine order, because it's a divine progression. It progresses from the spirit to the soul to the body. And if you break the divine order, you have a broken progression. And when you have a broken progression, you will go into regression. When you have a pro broken progression, you will go into regression and into a recession. You will go backwards. If you don't have divine order in your life, you will go from bad to worse. But when you have divine order, you will go from glory to greater glory. Come on now. Um, so this is a divine order, a divine progression. It must start from the spirit, and the spirit, your spirit, influences your soul, and your soul uh, uh, influences the soul and the body to come into agreement with the spirit. The problem is most Christians are walking around not living from their spirit, but living out of their soul. And living out of their physical body. We listen to the urges and the desires of what our physical body wants. From eating to sexual appetite. We listen to our soul. The negative thoughts that have been programmed into our mind. And all of the negative ideologies or incorrect ideologies that have been put into our mind. And we listen to those thought processes. The mind of intellect. And we listen to our emotions and the emotions connected to negative memories. That are the result of negative thought processes and negative happenings in our life. And we trigger our will based on all of that negative garbage and we end up with issues that we don't like and because we don't guard our heart, we find that we are facing the same issues again and again and again in life. Thank God this is 2023 and we're going to have a better year. Come on, everybody say we're going to have a better year. Yeah, we're going to have a great year. It is a good year, praise God. All right. Uh, look at this here. I said, uh, whenever we respond out of the desires or urges of our physical body, sorry, uh, we are first a spirit. <laughs> we are first a spirit. Uh, 
We have first a spirit and then a soul and then a body. Whenever we respond out of our soul first, we will miss the spirit of God and we will reason thought and feel emotion that is out of divine order. And it will produce soulish fruit. Whenever we respond out of the desires or the urges of our physical body, that too will cause us to miss the Spirit of God and it will produce fleshly fruit. Your physical body, aside from your soul, has appetites. It has sexual desire. It has desire for food. It has needs. It has cravings just on a biological basis. I want you to see in Mark chapter 2, verse 8, Jesus immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit, little s. Whenever the Bible's talking about Holy Spirit, it's capital H, capital S. If it ever says the Spirit of God, it's always capital S. When it's a little s, it's human spirit. And it says immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Stop. For those of you who are familiar with a spirit-filled life, Jesus operated in words of knowledge. In other words, words of information that he did not derive through his eyes or his ears or through reading or anything else. Pieces of information would be downloaded from the Spirit of God into his spirit, and he would know things about people. We prophesy that way. We, we uh, discern that way. We get words of knowledge that way. Sometimes God will tell me there's a person sitting over here with such and such a sickness, or there's a person here, you've had this and this emotional trauma, and you have these physical ailments as a result of it who is that person jesus knew immediately in his spirit the spirit is reserved for communication with god the soul is reserved for communication with the world hello the spirit is the holy of holies the soul is the holy place and the body is the outer court you look exactly like the temple that god told moses to build Absolutely. I, I know. It's good stuff. God, God has got an amazing mind. I don't take any credit. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? You are spirit first. If you make decisions from your soul, your own mental thoughts, or your own emotions, you will miss the spirit of God. Instead of living from your spirit, you live from your soul and you'll, get na you'll never get the best results. Okay, Matthew 26, I'm going to end Matthew 26, 39. Going a little further, the same passage of Scripture, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, My Father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. He's about to be crucified. He said, God, if there's another way, let's go another way. And then he says, then he says, yet, not as I will, but as you will. You see, in the Garden of Eden, Adam started from the finish line. God had finished creation, creation. Everything was perfect. He had made the finish line, and then he made man, and he started man at the finish line. Anybody remember the series I did, It Is Finished? You can go back and listen to it. 
The first Adam started at the finish line. He didn't have to be anything. He didn't have to do anything. He was put in a perfect world and he was perfect. Hello? The first Adam started at the finish line, the Garden of Eden. Adam started from the finish line of God's creation. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus, the last Adam, started at the line where humanity failed. In the Garden of Eden, the first Adam, God said you could eat from all the trees, everything. I've given you everything. Eat as much as you want, whenever you want. You don't have to ask me, can I go to the fridge? Just grab whatever you want. I put you in charge. Absolutely. There's just one thing I don't want you to touch. The knowledge of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I've given you the knowledge of good. Don't pollute it. We're so much into a green world. We want to eradicate pollution, but the greatest pollution starts in man's heart. And it's the knowledge that is contrary to God's knowledge that makes us evil. Hello? It's not the knowledge of wanting to kill somebody. Yes, that is evil. But any knowledge that differs from God's knowledge is a knowledge that's wrong. And therefore, it'll bring us to a bad place. That's why it's called the knowledge of evil. And so the first Adam was in the garden of Eden, and the one thing God said you can't do is the one thing he did. And at that moment, in the garden of Eden, he said, theoretically, spiritually, physically, he said, not your will, but my will be done. And that was the first step to the greatest mistake in all of humanity. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus, feeling the anguish of what's upon him and the weight of the sin of the world, knowing he's about to go to the cross, he says, God, if there's another way, but even so, I don't want my way, I don't want my will, not my will be done, your will be done. The first Adam started in the Garden of Eden at the line of the finish line of God's creation. The last Adam started at the line of man's failure and he makes restitution. The first place Jesus shed his blood was in the Garden of Gethsemane. When you read in Luke, Luke is a doctor. Luke says, and he's the only gospel writer who writes this. Matthew doesn't put it in. Mark doesn't put it in. John doesn't put it in. Luke puts it in. If you read in Luke chapter 1, Luke actually says, I, have, I was not one of the original disciples, therefore I have interviewed everyone and gathered all the facts and I'm going to write the gospel story so you, Theophilus, will have an accurate account of everything that happened that you now believe. Luke was a doctor. He was educated. He wrote the book of Acts. Very systematic. Very thorough. They are making archaeological discoveries on words that Luke used that were found in no society anywhere in the then known world. And as they undig certain sites, they are finding nameplates on officials with a title that hasn't been used in any culture. And yet Luke uses that title in the book of Acts. He was thorough, he was a doctor, he was educated. And so he interviews the facts and from talking to the disciples, the one thing that every one of them omitted was the fact that in the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus starts to sweat, sweat 
and blood. Internally, physiologically, he was breaking down on the inside. And the blood of Jesus brings out redemption. And redemption started in the Garden of Gethsemane where the first Adam said, my will, my way. The last Adam said, your will, your way. Hallelujah. Jesus has redeemed us from the curse of failure. He has redeemed us from a soul that has gone crazy. He has shed his blood on your soul, your mind of intellect, your mind of emotions, and the mind of your final decisions. Hallelujah. For Adam, the first step to the greatest failure was to break divine order and say, God, my will, my way, not yours. The last Adam brought redemption and reconciliation by going to a similar garden and saying, God, not my will, not my way, your will and your way be done. And in that moment, the first drop of blood of redemption started to pour out of his sacrificial body. Church, as we start a new year, the first step to your greatest success is understanding how you're wired and learning to bring the mind of your intellect and the mind of your emotions in submission to the mind of God's spirit. And God's spirit will talk to your spirit and then let your spirit talk to your soul and to your body. Every disastrous decision I made came out of either a soulish conclusion or a fleshly conclusion. Most people behind bars in a just legal system, I know there's no complete just legal system, but on the whole, most people behind bars in a, generally speaking, just legal system are there because of decisions they made from their soul or from their physical body. Not from decisions that are made from the spirit. Your spirit is designed to hear from God. I love you guys. I love the fact you keep showing up so good. I'm sure you never heard stuff like this, but is it making sense? Yes. Okay. Listen, the Bible is not a religious book. It is God's handbook of principles for life. It'll teach you everything about life. Stand with me. Not bad for a guy who got bumped on the head and punched in the eye, eh? <laughs> Did I do okay? Yeah. Now, wait a minute. If I did okay and you just said yes, that means you're coming back for part two next week. All right? Amen. Every eye closed. Most important part of this service. Most important part. See, none of this ever becomes relevant until our spirit is awakened. That will never happen unless you ask Jesus Christ to come into your life. You have to have a second birth. From your first birth, your spirit is dormant. 
and you have a soul, mind and emotions and will that are often AWOL to each other. And even if they're not AWOL to each other, they have damaged information. If you live out of damaged information, a computer with corrupted files is always going to give you a corrupted result. We must be born again. We must ask Jesus Christ to come into our heart. And he can start to deal with the damaged information and the damaged circuitry. And he can make us whole. It's a process, but he does it. But instantly, we are the beloved of God. We are loved by him instantly. And our sins are forgiven when we genuinely say, Jesus Christ, you are God. You died on that cross for me. And I'm going to be so bold today then I'm going to ask everyone in this room, if you have never asked Jesus Christ to come into your heart, if you've never been born again, I don't care how religious you are. I don't care if you used to preach. Have you asked Jesus Christ to come into your heart? I don't care if you were baptized by sprinkling or baptized by drowning. It doesn't matter. I don't care if you're an altar boy or a choir girl. It doesn't matter. That's religion. Relationship starts with relationship. Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? If you've never asked Jesus in your heart, come on, right now, come on, with me, raise your hand. Lift your hand and say, I want to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Put your hand up if that's you. All right, I gave you a heads up. Was this a good series? Is this a good sermon? Bring your friends. Bring your unsafe friends. Bring your family. Tell them, this guy doesn't just preach. He's not a typical preacher. Sometimes he's funny. Sometimes he's just silly. He says the weirdest things, but he says a lot of truth. Invite them. Don't invite them to church. Invite them to come and hear some amazing information. Now, Father, I pray. Church, here we are. This is a new year. As I've been preaching, things have been clicking in your head. If you want to go get out of the garden of conflict, you got to get back to the garden of joy. And the only way to get to the garden of joy when you're in the garden of conflict is to say, God, I surrender. Not my will. Not my way. I'm not going to do it my way. I'm not going to do what I want. I'm going to do what you want. And I'm not going to do anything until I know what you want. There are a lot of crossroads in our lives, a lot of moments of decision. And wrong decisions, just like driving on a road, a wrong turn can take you hundreds of miles out of the way. Wasted time, wasted resources, wasted energy. And every one of us have a backlog of that garbage. If you want to make the best decisions that you could possibly make, learn to come to the garden that Jesus came to. Understand your soul. And say to your mind, your thought processes, your ideologies, say to your memories, say to your emotions, be quiet. I'm going to trust the Spirit of God. Father, 
this is what I want, but I'm going to put it on the altar and lay it down. Show me what you want. Speak to me. Not my will, not my way. Your will, your way be done. That is the first step to the greatest success you will ever have in every area of life. I should write a book on this. I'd sell a million. Huh, maybe I will. Listen to me. I throw humor in. I'm being a smart, smart aleck on purpose. We're natural and we're spiritual. I'm not losing the anointing. Stay with me. I want you to laugh for a moment at me, at yourself. What I'm saying is this. You need to, I need to pray this prayer at every decision point. What do you want me to do, God? What's your decision? And Father, I pray your blessing over the entire church as we start this year, that we will start it not our way and not with our will, but your will and your way be done. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Turn around and give someone a high five. Give them a hug, an air hug. Amen.